This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 37, Question on Roberto, recorded on July 7th, 2016. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, with your host, me, Matt Lyons, and not Jason Lucart. Jason's over somewhere in Ireland doing Star Wars stuff, so today we have another Let's Go Tribe writer and known virtual Brian Shaw torturer, Matt Schlichting. Matt, how are you? Doing pretty well. Yeah, it's, it's good to be on the of... podcast. Yeah, it's always fun. You were on, well, it's almost it's already a couple months ago, wasn't it, that you were on? Yeah, I think it might have been sometime in the beginning of May, end of uh, April, beginning of May. Yeah, so that was pre-winning streak, pre-AL Central lead. And now you're coming on at the perfect time, pretty much. Although me and Jason missed last week's podcast during the winning streak, but now it's still pretty nice, I think, even though just got blown out by Detroit and a little while ago got blown out by Toronto. But still a lot of fun baseball stuff to talk about. And I'm happy with the Indians if they decide they're going to win 14 games and then lose one game by 14. That works. <laughs> I'm fine that. with that. <laughs> Although I don't like the lose by 16 and then win two games, lose by 14. Maybe not quite that, but there's been a lot of blowouts one way or the other. Yeah, it's been an interesting year for that, actually. Maybe it's not unusual in context of the rest of the league, but it feels like if the Indians play a game and it's not within two runs, then it's within 12. It's just (laughs) a complete blowout. It does feel like there's a lot less tension watching this year. Although I guess at the beginning of the year it was, but even a little bit before the win streak, I think. Could have looked this up probably, but it just feels like, like you said, a lot more blowouts and a lot less close games at the end. Which, as long as the Indians are winning, I'll take it. I don't Mm -hmm. care. Not being stressed every night. (laughs) So, uh, tonight we're going to talk about all those games, of course. The recaps last week of games against the Tigers and Blue Jays. We're going to talk about the All-Star selections. Danny Salazar, Francisco Lindor, Corey Kluber. Then we're going to talk about uh, Abraham Almonte, Tyler Naquin, what's going to happen there. Michael Brantley, maybe, sort of, almost, kind of, sort of coming back. <laughs> Potentially, there's one, yeah. Almost coming back. Um, preview the Yankees, then we'll have, we have a whole bunch of social media questions. It just depends on how much we talk before that, how many we get to. But the game recaps, last two series they played. I mean, by the time this airs, they'll play the Yankees once, but we're not going to count that because we're in the past on Thursday night. So last two series, the Indians, 2-1 and one against the Tigers, 2-2 two and two against the Blue Jays. They were actually outscored 32-34 to 34 in those series, which, again, it was weird because the Indians had one, they had one huge blowout and they were blown out twice, but they won almost all the other games, so it came out pretty close to even. Uh, on the good side of things, there's Lonnie Chisholm with nine hits, two of those were doubles. Carlos Santana, seven walks, ten hits, three home runs, <laughs> which I think he's already at 19 home runs, something like that. Yes. Jose Ramirez, he's, 11 hits. Oh. No, I'm just saying he's threatening to do the 30 dingers thing. <laughs> he's so close. At least he hasn't reached it yet, so he's still terrible. Until the second he crosses that threshold, he is the worst player. At, at which point, I think they start getting ready to cast the statue for the garden behind center field. <laughs> it, <laughs> they're already pl- planning to prep for it. Him and Mike Napoli are going to have him right next to each other, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Carlos Carrasco, uh, two games, 13 innings, only two earned runs, 19 strikeouts. And on the bad side of things, Tom Gorzolani, who, did they send him back down? He might still be yes. out. No, I'm pretty sure he got optioned. <laughs> yeah. He pitched two-thirds of an inning and had seven earned runs. And Francisco Lindor, I think this is the first time all season we've had him on the bad list. But he's been five for 26, two doubles. And he actually had an error last night, which I still think should mean the game doesn't count. Um, 
And then we'll talk about this more, but Jan Gomes, really bad. One for 17, six strikeouts. And then Mike Napoli overall, not very bad, but he did have 11 strikeouts, and he's second in baseball with 115. And I always do this to Jason, so I'm going to do it to you while I'm looking up the stuff if I find random tidbits. Who do you think is number one in strikeouts right now? I it's actually just, not Napoli. I was just thinking, how on earth did somebody <laughs> pass him? <laughs> It's got to be somebody who's trying to mash and gets a lot of at-bats. Uh, Chris Davis comes to mind, but I don't think that's right. I don't think Stanton misses that many balls. Um, Jeez. If you're wrong, the podcast ends now, and we never do another one. Well, well I'm <laughs> going to roll the dice then, and I'm going to say that it's Chris Davis, because it just makes sense. Wow, you got it. You're right. Okay. <laughs> it was Chris Davis. Holy cow. Oh, that is kind of an obvious name when it comes to strikeouts. but Right, because he's. I, wasn't... I think his goal in life is to be a two-outcome player. You just skip the walks, just home runs and strikeouts. Yeah, why not? You don't need to get on base. Just hit the dingers or go sit down. Mm-hmm. Who wants to run bases these days? Nobody. You paid enough for that. It's hot know. out and you get all sweaty and sticky. Sometimes you got to yeah. wear a weird glove on your hand. <laughs> a whole just oven not... mitt? Yeah. Am I imagining it, or is there other people wearing that on the Indians now? I swear I saw my, my, ah, I swear I saw Napoli wearing really? the, the Rajai Davis oven mitt once. They should have I, a giveaway at the stadium if it starts to catch on. Oh, who, they should. <laughs> who doesn't want one of those? I would wear it. Mm-hmm. Even if it was just like the Indians logo on the back or like <laughs> Rajai's number. Oh, I want an Indians oven mitt. It could even be just a legit <laughs> oven mitt. It doesn't have to be like a sliding thing. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so cool. Well, we know the Indians listen to this podcast, obviously, so... Mm-hmm. They, they will hear us and they'll take our suggestion, I'm sure. If it pops up now, you know we're going to call them and tell them that it was all our, all our idea first. <laughs> so, those first last series of games, anything stick out to you in particular? That series against the Blue Jays, I that was just some of the most fun baseball to watch. I just loved that entire series. Of course, we had that ridiculous 19-inning game, and that was beautiful. But we split the series. They're also a very good team. We saw some great pitching performances. We saw some great at bats from both teams. It was just it was just beautiful baseball. I loved it. Yeah, I didn't get to watch much of it because <laughs> I was out of town. But the cool thing with that 19 inning game was, I mean, I listened to 15 innings of it or so driving out to Erie to visit my parents. You feel I mean, the I casual. Was, <laughs> I know, and I had to listen to the Blue Jays podcast too or broadcast. All they wanted to talk about was hockey the whole time in like the middle of a 19-inning game. <laughs> They're talking about like the, who the Leafs signed, and it was so Canadian. But um, So like I never grew up. My parents didn't follow sports that much, but it was kind of neat because now that I do this, they follow them really closely, and they watch every game. So when, when we got there, they were watching it, and then we were getting to the car to go to the Rubber Ducks game, and everybody ran up to the car to get the <laughs> to listen to the game as it was going. So I didn't have that like sports bond growing up, but I can definitely see where it comes from. So that was really cool. So mm-hmm. the Blue Jays series has that nice little thing for me. Although it kind of ruined everything <laughs> when it comes to the Indians. I mean, I I think it's safe to say it ruined the streak. It blew. Because Trevor Bauer would have started the next game. But that that pitching performance coming in and pitching five innings in extras. Oh yeah. Not allowing a run. It, it was five five innings of works, two hits. Three walks, three strikeouts, which he threw 83 pitches. So he basically had a Trevor Bauer start. It just <laughs> happened to be during a Josh Tomlin start. It just happened to be in a place where if he allowed a single run, he lost. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was incredible. And I mean, just sort of watching Bauer, you can just tell. When they asked him in the dugout, there was probably no hesitation whatsoever. I bet he was hyped to do it. 
yeah. wouldn't be surprised if he suggested it. <laughs> He's just. <laughs> I'm imagining a really cheesy made-for-TV movie where Tito like spits tobacco out of the corner of his mouth. He's like, "Well, looks like we're all out of relievers. Who's gonna step up and carry the team?" You see the back of Trevor's head, and then he just turns. I'll do it, coach. Hard cut to him throwing a fastball. Strike three. You got to work a drone in there somehow because you know they'd play that up in some <laughs> kind of movie. <laughs> like when he says who would play, it would first cut back to Trevor, like as a kid flying around a little drone, like one of the little toy helicopters. One day, son, you're going to be pitching in the 19 inning game. I don't know, Dad, if I can do it. And then it'll cut back and then it'll say, I can do it. <laughs> this is the worst made for TV movie ever, but I would watch it. Oh, yes. <laughs> the other thing and i i was out of town as well but i was in northeast ohio again because that's where my family lives mm-hmm. um i we were sitting at our brewing in akron and it's definitely not a sports bar it's it's i don't want to say it's a beer snobs place but the beer is delicious and people who were there aren't necessarily there to watch sports they've got a tv <laughs> all the way down on the far wall like in another room and everybody's just sitting at the bar turned to the left <laughs> watching this game go on people are standing and shifting around to look at it that's cool and being back I, more indians hats more indians shirts and jerseys than i'd seen in the last six or seven years going back to visit my folks so the win streak definitely i think not only the Cavs winning but then the indians going on that tear it means a lot to people and i'm not the kind of person that gets upset when casual fans come back and start rooting for the team i think it's great i don't care if the last time you watched the indians ronnie belliard was an all-star i think it's awesome that you're back let's watch this team win some games i think it's great that you were sitting at the bar next to me and you turned to me and said who's this tomlin guy awesome i can tell you everything and we're best friends now (laughs) yeah yeah i never understand the hate for i guess actual bandwagons fans are one that jump from winning team to winning team. But if you're only rooting for like your city's team when they're good, that's fine. If you're not jumping yeah. to the other teams. I mean, if you ask almost anybody when they become a fan, when they became a fan, they're probably going to say when that team won a championship and they got to watch it. So everybody's kind of a bandwagon fan. I think most right. people start as one. It's just usually when you're a kid, but if you do it as an adult, who cares? Well, cause I was that way with college football. Cause the first year I ever really watched football was 2001 and that happened to be the year Ohio State won a national championship. So kind of have been a, an obsessive fan ever since then because. So I, I think that's kind of true. You dirty bandwagon fan? Jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, only, I think the, the, I must be the biggest bandwagon fan since I ended up going there and giving them all of my money. <laughs> all because you're a bandwagon fan. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, same things for me, I think. And then I think Jose Ramirez, he's been great. He's kept his helmet on, unfortunately, for T-shirt sales. But that's been great <laughs> to see. <laughs> he just doesn't want me to buy that yacht. I think Jimmy he's has it. this blocked for some reason. Yeah, you mentioned that. <laughs> and see, I'm hoping it's just that he's got like all media blocked just so he can focus on the very important reasons that he tweets. He doesn't get distracted <laughs> by all the negative writing out there. Not that we have ever said anything negative about him, I don't think. I don't think we would. Well, maybe last year. That would have been before I got on, though. Because when I started, he was already in the minors, then he came back and he was good. So yeah, maybe we have in the past. Or maybe he just doesn't really like being called Angry Hamster, but I'm not going to believe that. I I'm think sure he loves it. Because it's the best. It is the best. At least it's not Boom Boom. Ugh. 
you have any thoughts on um, like maybe Carlos Santana, Napoli, how they're kind of switching off on defense a little more? I don't know if it's something maybe that Napoli's not playing well or he just needs a break or because I think we saw what game was it? Was it that Toronto one where Santana blew up? He had a really easy catch and he bobbled it. That I think seems that like was... a vintage reason why you signed Mike Napoli so that doesn't happen. But that was the one. That was the one that we lost the streak on against the Tigers because he that should have ended the inning, and then he goofed it, and then Tulowitzki hit that home run to left. Right. Yeah. Yep. That was it. Which yeah. interestingly, when he hit that, I think that that was. That was the home run on which he had hit a home run against every major league team or something. Like that, he, the Indians were the last ones he needed to come around on. I think that's right. I could be lying. Well, wow, that'd be pretty interesting. I saw something like that, though. Now I'm going to look it up so I don't. He hasn't like even an been idiot. in the AL that long, though, so that seems like it'd be a little. I mean, he hits a lot of home runs, I guess, but that would be quick to get that, I would think. Beginning AL a couple runs or a couple <clears throat> seasons. But yeah, that's what we have for these games pretty much. It wasn't too bad. I mean, they're playing the Yankees now, and no matter how bad or good this series go, they're going to go into the All Star break with a winning record or a winning a lead in the AL Central. And I think they just really need the rest. The bullpen is a mess right now, even more than before, because again of that nineteen inning game. I think, but the All Star break is going to do good. Absolutely, uh, Salazar is probably not going to pitch, but they're going to come out of it on the other side pretty well. I think, and I don't think yeah. they're going to do bad against the the Yankees. I think they're a pretty good shot there. Right. Uh, we're in the past, so of course we don't know that the score is five to two uh, in the Yankees' favor. Oh, okay. But I, I think this was the perfect time of the season to go on a streak because we you're always going to have that hangover after you blow your entire bullpen in one go, and then you've been going fourteen days straight like that. So if we split the rest of the games between now and the All Star break, great. We have a six or seven game cushion in the division. We've got that entire break to rest. We can come back and they're going to play the best baseball they can coming back. And I think we're going to see, I mean, I'm excited to see what they do in the second half. I had predicted that 50 wins would be phenomenal to get by the all-star break. And they're, they already broke that open. So <laughs> yeah, I think they're still on pace for like mid to high nineties wins. If it's not still 98, it's still pretty close probably. Mm-hmm. If they get to 100, it would only be the fourth time in team history. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of history for only four times. When was the last time, do you know? 95. 94, when they won wow. exactly 100. And, uh, <laughs> and it was 100 and, was that 154 games they played that year. I know it was shortened, but I can't remember. Oh, yeah, it was that one. Was like That's the depressing season that always comes up on Ken Burns baseball. Yes. <laughs> they spend the first half of the episode talking about how great the team was. And then it just goes away. Yeah, because 94 <laughs> was the year without a World Series, right? Right. Yeah. Well, wait. Which season? Well, no, because the only one that was shortened was the one without a World Series, right? I think it was 95. So, I, think so. I know that 95 was strike shortened. Mm-hmm. I think that was at the end. Okay, so each team played 144 games in 1995. So the Indians went 144 in 95, which is ludicrous baseball. <laughs> um. Most teams had played at least 113 games in 1994, so that's when the World Series got canceled. Okay, yeah. Either way, that's a really depressing one. (laughs) Greg Maddox, there were a lot of people having really, really good seasons in 94, too. Like, I think that's arguably Greg Maddox's best season overall was 1994, and we'll never know. 
Yeah, and that was also the year Tony Gwynn was going to hit 400, I think. Yep. He was really close to it, yeah. That was the worst like year to have that happen, I think. Stupid labor strikes. <laughs> How dare they, first of all. <laughs> so, uh, moving on to All-Star stuff, which won't be strike-shortened this year. Which nope. maybe unfortunately, if you don't like watching it, but the Indians are going to send Danny Salazar, Francisco Lindor, and as we learned today, Corey Kluber, who's going to replace an injured Marco Estrada, and he was selected by Ned Yost, of course. Actually, all three of these guys were, I think, right? Yeah, because you don't vote the pitcher, you don't vote the backup. So, thank you, Ned Yost. Thought I'd never say that, but he selected Salazar, Lindor, and Kluber. Lindor all really deserving. Lindor was a coach's pick, and then Salazar was a player's pick. Player's pick. Okay. Yep, and then Kluber was because of Estrada. But I still, but still, it's Yost that picks Kluber. Is it? Yeah. Thanks, Ned. <laughs> right. Unless nice. he really doesn't like Jose Quintana, I don't know. But if it was just for revenge, I'm good with that. <laughs> well, I was telling someone earlier. I think Kluber getting the All Star nod this season is kind of like when you have someone at the Oscars who's had two great roles that are just a little too controversial. <laughs> And they got nominated, and then they have a pretty good supporting actor role in like a Leonardo to, Leonardo DiCaprio movie. And I'm like, all right, we'll give it to him for this one. Everybody knows it's for the other two, but this yeah. year, it kind of feels like that. He, yeah. He's getting the nod this year for the other two seasons. Yeah, and I'm usually not. I usually don't like that, but if it's in a case where it's Quintana and Kluber, and they're like it's a coin flip between them, and I, at that point, I would just go by track record and just looking at the last three years. Almost nobody's been better than Kluber. Like David Price, maybe. But that's about it. So I'm okay with him getting in. I'm not okay with people saying he doesn't... Like he's a number four or five pitcher or he didn't deserve to be in there. That's just people looking at ERA and wins and who should stop. But I mean, he's not bad at all this year. It's just that what has been hit has been gotten through more than in previous years. Because actually looking at Brooks baseball, like his fastball, it's not getting slugged on particularly well, but the average is way up and... There's still not even that many line drives, so it's just luck at this point. It'll even out back down to his like AL leading 2.96 FIP, which is crazy. And he's also second in Warren 3.1. Yeah, if you're the Fangraph numbers make him look like one of the better pitchers in the American League. I mean, he's not a he's not a bad pitcher. You can have the argument about whether Salazar's the ace or Carrasco's the ace or why ace ace ace. I don't I don't care who's the first guy at the top of a rotation, basically. I think that's kind of, it's like the cult of the closer almost. People get so fixated on like, he's the ace, he's the guy, he's got to lead the team. Right. How how come he didn't come back after this loss and lead the team to a win? <laughs> I don't know, it's a baseball game, things happen. <laughs> but he's been very, very good this season. And it's interesting to look at the difference between fan graphs and baseball reference. I don't know the exact differences, but I know... I believe at least that Fangraphs puts more emphasis on FIP and what a pitcher can actually control rather than some of the things that they like the earned runs and things like that. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Fangraphs war takes FIP into consideration more. But yeah, that's basically <sighs> what Kluber's been better at is that kind of stuff. And then yeah. And of course wins and losses, who cares? Although it is kind of interesting that I mean when Kluber has lost, it's been big losses. So he has he's already lost eight games this season. So it's not quite in previous years that it was just no run support. It's just that when he's, when things have gone wrong, it's gotten really wrong and it's resulted in a loss more than, which I mean that in general, I think is shaping people's opinions and the fact that he doesn't always start out strong. So people see that he gets like two runs in the first inning and think, Oh, it's another bad start. But then he pitches like nine innings and strikes out 11. (laughs) And, and that's such a mystery to me. Why, what is it about Kluber where he doesn't always settle in in the first and second? 
I don't, I don't think that's always been a Kluber thing. I think it's a this year Kluber thing, okay. which I don't know. It's really weird, but and it's especially probably, the first few starts. It's probably just um, just a dumb thing that happens to have occurred a couple times in a row. So now our stupid reptile brains are latching onto it like, this is Kluber's identity. <laughs> right, and we're talking about 17 starts. So if it happened right. in like five of those, we happen to have a bad ending in the first. Suddenly it looks like a pattern, but it's really not, so... Well, and then looking at, looking at his starts, he has a six earned, five earned, five earned, five earned, one, two, three, four. Five. He's got five starts with five or six earned runs, mm-hmm. which is about, it's close to half of his earned runs are in just five out of 17 starts. Right. So, so people see that and they automatically think bad or they don't even look at it. It's just that they've watched those particular games and that sticks out as Corey Kluber's terrible all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ignoring the nine hit the nine inning shutouts and the double digit strikeout games altogether. Yeah. June June twenty first against the Rays, he throws the complete game shutout, hundred and fifteen pitches, game score of eighty eight, nine strikeouts, two walks, three hits. Okay, good job. <laughs> but what about that one game three weeks ago where he allowed six runs? <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> and then um so in the All-Star game, of course, also Danny Salazar, um, he's quite the opposite of Kluber. His peripherals aren't quite as good. Strikeouts, obviously, are great. He leads yes. the AL with 28.3%, but he's walking a ton. But he also leads the AL in ERA, 2.36. It's really weird watching Danny Salazar starts because, like I said, it's the opposite of Kluber. I don't know how he gets out of all these jams, I guess with strikeouts. But he walks a ton of people, he allows some hits, and then he just always seems to strand everybody, and I will take it for sure. He just looks great this season, though. It's everything that everyone said he could be, he's starting to become. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Without well, all the bad parts. Well, the bad parts are still there. You can just make up for him now. Right. He's still walking guys a little bit more than you would like, but he's spotting the fastball. His changeup has become basically the thermonuclear option. That's one of the best pitches I've seen in a long time. Like, I put that up there with Kershaw's curveball right now, to be honest, because people just can't hit the thing. His last start, he gave up two home runs on it, but that was the biggest aberration ever. No, clearly that means he's terrible, and his his changeup is awful. Cut him. (laughs) Exactly. Cut the bum. That's what it means. (laughs) Don't even designate him. Just release him. (laughs) I don't care if I have to pay him to play for nobody. And then... um, the last all-star is Lindor, which obviously he should be there. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's, third o- among- he's okay. I'm, eh, I don't know. He's no Xander Bogarts, I guess. No, he's, he's not. He's no Omar Infante, as, as we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> if he could just live up to Omar, maybe. I don't know. Does he have a team right now? I don't think he does. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure either. <laughs> but anyway, he's starting behind Xander Bogarts, which, okay, I'm okay with that. Xander Bogarts has been really good. Um, Manny Machado starting at third base. Otherwise, mm-hmm. he might be ahead of Lindor in shortstop, too. But either way, it works. Lindor's third and AL shortstop war, and nobody's even close to him on defense. So I'm pretty thrilled for Lindor to be on an all-star team. How about you? It's the best. He's, <laughs> it's, it's, the best. it's his age 22 year. Um, I, I'm curious to know who the youngest all-star is in Indians history. I'm wondering if it's like a Bob Feller or maybe a Nap Lajaway, but I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Feller. He, well, no. I don't think Feller started his career like that, like being Bob Feller, did he? 
I think he did, and then he went and decided that he was going to save America, uh, and then came back and continued to still be Bob Feller, even though he gave up four years in his prime to defend America. Yeah, his first his first couple years, it was his fourth year where he really started to pick it up. We had like a two eight five year, right? Okay, so that's still probably close to being the youngest. He would have been twenty two if he made an all. I don't know if he made an all star in nineteen thirty nine, but he would have been. So would have tied Lindor. He's got to be close. I didn't think of looking that up, but Grady Sizemore would have been older, right? Oh, Grady. You know, Let's look up stuff while we're doing this. <laughs> so while you're looking up the youngest all-star, we take a look at Xander Bogarts compared to Francisco Lindor. Here's my thing this year. Lindor's batting average on balls in play is a cool 317. Um, Bogarts is at 376. So is he having a great year? Yes. Is he getting helped a little bit by luck when he hits the ball? Sure. The difference right now, according to Fangraphs, is 3.9 overall for Bogarts and 3.4 for Lindor. But it is fun to look at the difference because they're basically... Bogarts' defense is basically identical to what they're rating Lindor's offense as. And then you look at Bogarts' offense is off the charts for a shortstop. And then, of course... Lindor, according to Fangraphs, is the best in the league, with the exception of Brandon Crawford. So that's just fun. Numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I'm okay with Bogarts getting ahead of him. I don't think it's a big travesty. I joked about it, of course, that it was. And I think next year, I mean, if the Indians keep winning like this, and they keep getting huge crowds, I think he has a chance at actually getting voted in next year. I would right. hope, if he keeps playing this well. Well, and we're... I'm not mad at all about the fact that there are so many, like, we're watching Corey Seager, we got Xander Bogarts, we got Addison Russell, we've got Brandon Crawford. There's so many good players right now in both leagues on the left side of the infield. I don't know what to do with myself. It's insane. <laughs> I don't know how to hold all these shortstops. It's insane how much talent there is right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun to watch. It's This is probably like rivaling the 90s in terms of good shortstops, I would think, right? Like late 90s, early 2000s. It's getting there. I earlier in the year, I was looking at wins above replacement for third baseman, and the only times that were close were the '80s when you had Johnny Bench overlapping with um, Kirk Gibson. Kirk Gibson third base. I might have just made a fool of myself. There were a lot of Bob Bell. I think was one of them too. There were a lot of very good third basemen that came up in the '80s, and there were actually more third basemen above two wins there were more third basemen with more than two wins above replacement um last year than like any other year wow which is just crazy that there's that much talent so the last um all-star player that was younger than lindor i'm gonna make you guess there's no way you're gonna know but i'm gonna make you try to guess anyway was 1973 he was 21 years old he 19, was a third baseman. 1973, a third baseman. Yeah. If I hear keyboard clicking, it doesn't count. <laughs> well, here's the thing. is I was just looking up who I meant when I said Bob Bell. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it was Buddy Bell. Yeah, it was Buddy Bell. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had just pulled up the page, and then you asked, and I was like, Wait a second. <laughs> when you said Bob Bell, I was like, did he mean Buddy Bell? Because I'm about to ask him who Buddy Bell is. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, and I give credit. Fox 8 Cleveland actually had that one. Nobody else seemed to write down who it was, but 
It's Lindor, or Buddy Bell was the youngest. Or Lindor That's is the youngest since Buddy Bell. That's, That's a crazy. long time. Okay, so anything else about the uh, All-Star selections on your mind? No, not really. I'm I'm excited to see Lindor get a couple of innings in. I'm hoping he makes a completely insane play on national television. You know he's going to be smiling the whole time, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody you think was hashtag snubbed? I haven't gotten to take a deep look at it yet, but I, I, some people are saying Bauer got snubbed. And is he having a great season so far? Yes, but that's not... He didn't start as a starter. He's been in kind of a hybrid role the whole time. And I think that he's, I would hope, he's the guy in the world who cares the least about whether or not he's an all-star. <laughs> he just wants to throw the ball hard. Strike guys yep. out. Help the team. Yeah, I think he's the closest. Although my answer is, I mean, if the all-star is about important players to a team, I think his absence shows just how important he is. So Roberto Perez should have been the starting catcher. Because without him, look at what the Indians are doing at the catcher position. All I'm saying is when he comes back, he's going to be having... And there's going to be some MVP votes there, I think. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't have a hit. But... <laughs> he walked a bunch. And 500 on base percentage still, right? Yeah. Nobody's better than that. Are you kidding? Mm-mm. I mean, ignore the fact that he has like 12 at-bats, but... <laughs> we'll just ignore that part. This is how you do stats. You just ignore the parts that you don't like, and then... Whatever proves your point, you use. So, mm-hmm. Roberto Perez, MVP. Done. <laughs> QED. There you go. So, the other MVP, Tyler Naquin, which, I mean, depending on who you ask, he's already been MVP. I saw he hit a home run earlier tonight already, or yeah. yesterday, depending on who we listen. But Abraham Amante is back. He's taken two starts away, maybe, so far. I didn't really pay attention enough if they're platooning it specifically or not. But every time Amante does, of course, Twitter explodes because Naquin is the new love of everybody. But what do you think about that situation? Should it just be, are we at the point where we can just let Naquin go and we'll ride him into the ground if he's going to fall off at some point? Or, well, I mean, with Almonte, he's supposed to be a fourth outfielder anyway. But what do you think? Should he be in there at all, really? Or should it just be Naquin's to lose? It's Naquin's to lose, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Is he going to fall off? Yes. What he's doing, and I, I hate talking about it, but his... It's just unsustainable. It is crazy. (laughs) And it's been so much fun to watch, but the hits are going to start finding gloves. They're not going to keep landing. He's not going to have these bloop triples that just end up getting right by the right fielder and he scoots into third. The magic will run out. Does that mean he's not a great player? Not at all. It's just that this has been a ridiculously good and lucky start to his major league career. That being said... When a guy's on a hot streak like this, you ride it out. Let him keep going. Almonte's a pretty good player. I think that they could work their way into a platoon, but if Naquin keeps raking, there's no reason to keep him out of the everyday lineup. It's kind of like the way we felt about Ramirez earlier in the year, where he was just crushing the ball, and it's like, okay, find a way to get him in the lineup. Yep, and I mean, other than, like you said, bloop triples, I mean, just anecdotally, I think Naquin's crushing a lot of these hits, and nothing's cheap. And, I mean, since the last time he's been sent down, he has overall a better plate approach. He's been walking a lot more and getting in the deeper count. So, I mean, he's changed, and I don't. he's going to fall off, but I don't think he's going to fall off quite as far as I thought he was going to earlier in the season. He's always been a high bat hitter just because of, I guess, apparently he makes really good contact. <laughs> I didn't know about that in the minors, but he has in the majors so far. So maybe he's always going to have a high bat and 
if his defense comes around, he can fall off quite a ways offensively and still be probably better than Almonte, I think. I would really hate to see Almonte just take more and more bats away from Naquin, especially when Brantley comes back. If Naquin gets optioned, then I'll join everybody with their pitchforks and <laughs> torches as they're yelling about it. No, I'm I'm convinced that he's he's up. Yeah. I don't I, I don't think there's any way they can really justify sending him down at this point unless he just unless he does a Gomes. Hmm. <laughs> Are we making Gomes a verb now? Unless he Gomeses. I, I don't want to say he Gomesed it. <laughs> it's pretty close to that. So uh, speaking of Brantley, he was heading batting practice earlier this week, which means maybe he sort of almost kind of probably maybe could be coming maybe. back soon. <laughs> Although it's worth noting, we're like two weeks away from Peter Gammons being right, which I'm sure he has that on a calendar somewhere. He printed out all the times we were mean to him on Twitter for saying that Michael Brantley would be out till <laughs> August. He has it like around a calendar and he has a candle next to it and he crosses out a day. <laughs> He's close. Because during the winter meetings, he said Brantley would out, be out until August, and he is shockingly close. Although I don't think it's the same reason Gaiman's thought. He's out there with some complication with the surgery, which I think if there was, Brantley wouldn't have been back earlier in the year. I think just whatever Brantley did while playing aggravated it, and so he's out again. So, Right. He's technically right, which is the best kind of right anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just – I was worried when they rushed – and we, we say rushed back now because at the time – the thinking was, hey, he came back from the labrum injury pretty well. He's ready to play. He had been taking batting practice and doing soft toss for a while at that point. It's just, it stinks. Because this is the second year in his prime, in his like 27 to 32 years, when he's missed a decent amount of time. Now, we know the kind of hitter he can be. We know the kind of player that he is. So I just feel cheated, not just as an Indians fan, but as a baseball fan. He's got one of the nicest swings in baseball. He almost never misses when he swings at a pitch in the strike zone. He's, I think his contact percentage on a strike when he swings is like 96% since he's oh, been ridiculous. in <laughs> Yeah, He's the best in baseball at it. So anytime someone who's the best in baseball at something isn't playing, it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's hopefully whenever he comes back, it's just permanent. I mean, like everybody's been saying all along, it's going to be like acquiring a all-star outfielder if he's anything close to the way he was last year. Yeah, it's a mid-season acquisition, in my mind, at third base, because you get to shift Ramirez there, and his bat at third, as opposed to at left, looks really good. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which, it's kind of getting off topic of this, but it's one of the reasons I don't think the Indians need an outfielder as much as like John Heyman and them say they do. It's just, I tweeted earlier that he's just basically going through the alphabet now and naming every outfielder and saying the Indians should get him. Right. Just because it's, it looks obvious on paper, I guess, that, hey, the Indians have an injured outfielder, so they need an outfielder. But I still don't think that's true at all. Right. It's like it's like the out-of-the-park baseball logic where someone gets hurt and then six teams offer you some <laughs> random left fielder. And it's like, no. <laughs> exactly. He's on the 15th. He's on the 15-day DL. He's coming back. He's not dead. <laughs> I'm going to keep think, playing Brian Shaw in left field, damn it. I don't care. <laughs> yes. And I think saying the Indians need an outfielder ignores the fact that uh, the Chisholm slash at the moment is 307, 355, 477 with a WRC plus of 121. So Chisholm Hall is playing great this year at the plate so far in somewhat limited time. but So right field's doing well. Left field's doing well with Ramirez out there. Davis is having a really very good year, way better than I expected him to do. I thought he was just going to be like a 
I thought he was going to be our fourth outfielder before Almonte got suspended. But you add Brantley into that mix, and our outfield goes from something in the beginning of the year where I was extremely concerned that we were just going to play random infielders out there to, hey, we might have too much talent to play everybody out here. (laughs) What do we need to do? Right. And I'm not going to trade, like, future outfielders for a position that's already pretty good, especially Jay Bruce, who can't play outfield anyway. So You're saying we shouldn't send Zimmer, Frazier, and Bobby Bradley to the Reds for Jay Bruce? I'm saying we should, like tomorrow. Okay. I want it done. I want to see Jay Bruce in that outfield. And I want to see Clint Frazier in Cincinnati. I think that uh, he'd he'd play good in center at Progressive Field. I think he's, he's got the range for that. I mean, I saw him make a really good catch once, so I think if we put him in center, he'd be really good. And you extrapolate that one catch across the rest of his career. <laughs> Gold he, he never drops the ball. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I actually got to see Fraser and Zimmer in person, so which means I don't want to see him traded now. I mean, I don't get to see a whole lot of players in person living in the middle of nowhere, but I was like 20 feet away from Fraser's hair. Fraser's hair. I saw Zimmer hit a home run, so they're not allowed to be traded. Never. And my parents live in Akron, or near Akron, so I've been telling them, like, listen, you've got to go to the Rubber Ducks games. You have to go. Five years from now, you're going to hate yourself when these guys hit 40 home runs, and you realize you could have paid $6 to sit at the bar and drink beer and watch these guys mash. Foolish parents. <laughs> they still haven't gone? I don't think they've been to a Rubber Ducks game this year. They're, they've gone to a few Indians games, so they get a pass there. But, but still, that's a little more than 6 bucks. Mm-hmm. So, um, like we said before, a Yankees game has already happened by the time this comes out. I'm not looking at the score, but apparently they're losing, I guess. Oh. I got um, five to four right now. So, hopefully by the time this comes out, it's a little different. But we'll preview the final three games, I guess, basically. So, tonight it was Trevor Bauer and Ivan Nova. Bauer looked great through the first. He had a perfect game through four or something like that, a no-hitter. I don't know what happened to get those five runs, but I'm sure we'll find out tomorrow. Um, then Corey Kluber and Chad Green on Saturday, or Friday. Danny Salazar and CeCe Sabathia on Saturday, and Josh Tom and Masahiro Tanaka on Sunday, which will be the last game heading into the All-Star break. The Yankees are 41-43, and 43, fourth in the AL East. All their fans are miserable, which <laughs> makes everybody else okay, I think. Um, their pitching staff's actually really good in strikeouts and walks, but they're ninth in ERA. Just partial luck and partial having a defense that's collectively 80 years old <laughs> it hasn't been good um so what are your thoughts on the yankees series coming up no matter what happens tonight how do you think they're gonna do in the last three games the yankees are really old <laughs> they're really bad i feel like we always say the yankees are old but you go down mccann's 32 to share 36 headley's 32 gardner's 32 ellsbury's 32 beltran's 39 rodriguez is 40 and then you have Castro and Didi Gregorius, who are both 26. And that's it for their starters. <laughs> and I, Gregorius, I don't think, has been up for that long. But they're just, they're a really weird team this year. Because I feel like they're split between deciding they want to blow up the entire organization and do a rebuild, which the Yankees don't typically do. And deciding, you know, which contracts can we move, which ones can we weather, who can we sign next year and try to win enough games to get into the wild card. Yeah, the trade for Chapman really confused all that before the season. I mean, if they didn't make that trade, I think it's pretty obvious at this point they would just say, screw it and sell it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think they are anyway. Apparently they're shopping Miller and Batanzas, or at least Miller, I didn't see Batanzas, but they might do a mini blow-up, I think. And I don't think they can get rid of, like, 
Rodriguez or Teixeira, all those really old guys with the huge contracts, unless they pay a lot of the money, I don't think. Right. So they've kind of just stuck themselves in a bad position. Although it's kind of scary to think in like a few years if they get some prospects up when Bryce Harper is a free agent and all those kind of things. And they can spend money again if they have a real team. It's going to be another scary few years, I think. But right now, they've just got themselves in such a hole, it won't matter for a while. <laughs> right. And well, and the last time the Yankees really committed to a farm system and then used their ridiculous financial resources to keep those guys around, that was when we had Jeter, right. Posada, Pettit, Rivera. I've heard those were good baseball teams. They're okay. They were really good in Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest. <laughs> That counts for anything. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> as far That's as the cool. series goes, I'm interested to see what Kluber does in the start. Who's he up again against? Who's uh, he up Chad against Green. again? Chad who's, Green. Who's Chad Green? It sounds like a generic name that out of the park generates. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they traded for him for who was it? Some reliever in the off season. They got him and another pitcher from another team. <laughs> but he's mostly he's been a relief. It's been thought that he'd be a relief prospect, but he got shifted to the um, starting rotation when Evaldi or whatever his name is. What is his name? Why am I blanking? Evaldi? Name? There you go. That's the one. Nathan Evaldi. There you go. He's in the bullpen now, so that makes Green a starter. So well, he's, he's a prospect, but he's not that high of a prospect. He's started twice with 11 innings pitched, and he struck out 14 and only walked one. The problem is he's also given up 11 hits and five earned runs, which isn't terrible. But uh, I don't know if you're looking at his picture, but he looks like the kid who sat behind you in calculus and knew all the answers. <laughs> I got to look now. He's not a he's not a bad looking dude. He's just got that. He's got that look like he sees the pitch and he automatically just the oh, equation. Yeah. The cool. equation pops into his head as to how far it's going to break. Yeah. So hopefully that'll be another rookie pitcher the Indians can beat up on and give Kluber some runs. Yes. And then. Which, Sorry, I was just saying, for the most part, the Indians have been good about giving Kluber run support lately, at least. Yeah. It's no longer a thing where he pitches and basically has a no-hitter going through five and is somehow losing because of an error. <laughs> yeah, like we talked about earlier, the problem is that he gives up like six games every, or six runs every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting that Kluber and Salazar both pitching this series probably means they're not going to pitch in the All-Star game. I think Salazar is going to be on like three days rest. I think, and then Kluber might be on like four. And then the other weird thing, or not weird thing, but um, the Josh Tomlin start would normally be Carlos Carrasco, but they're going to send Tomlin on four days rest and apparently just give Carrasco just an extra like four or five days off over the All-Star break, obviously. Which maybe it's just because he came back from the injury. He's getting a little winded already, so that's maybe I was that's thinking. good. Yeah, because I mean, he has a bench, he's been sitting for, well, like two months and came back and started pitching, so I like it. I mean, it doesn't really matter. That one game probably isn't a huge deal if Tomlin gets blown up again. Because, again, you have the All-Star break coming up. So no matter what happens, you can reset after that. But the only Indians player actually playing in the All-Star game will probably be Lindor. Unless maybe and, he pitches. Who knows? You know, maybe they'll... I could see them sending Kluber in. And this is something that I would like to see in the All-Star game. Is there's two outs. You've already put in a reliever. Why not send Kluber out to face one guy, you know? If he gets the out, great. If he doesn't, send another guy out to try to get the out. You know, and I understand you don't want to necessarily wear out arms, but I don't think that Kluber throwing six or seven pitches is going to ruin him for his next start. <laughs> and maybe I don't know anything about baseball, but I'd <laughs> like to see them use as many guys as they can, even if it's just for one batter. Yeah, 
I don't think, like you said, it'll ruin it, but I don't know if either he or the Indians would object just to messing up his like rhythm, because I know pitchers are really into keeping the same schedule, so maybe there's some reason he would object to that. I don't know. Kluber takes the mound, throws one pitch, his UCL evaporates. <laughs> right on the spot. Falls so, to the yeah. ground, writhing in pain. <laughs> Why did you make me throw this pitch? As the camera pans out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's our Yankees preview, sort of. Well, I, I'll, I'll pick uh, that the Indians split the series against him. Not knowing how the game tonight ends, uh, I think that we'd be happy riding into the sunset uh, with a 500 series at home. Yeah, that's fair. So I that think they win us... the Kluber and Salazar starts. I like that. Yeah, and then whatever happens tonight and then the Josh Tomlin one, I'm okay with counting as a loss just because the short rest and Tomlin hasn't looked great lately. But yeah, like you said, it doesn't matter. And I think the Indians are doing so well right now that even Cleveland fans if they don't do great this series, there's still going to be some optimism going into the All-Star break. Because I don't know if you look at like the comments on the Indian stuff and even our stuff, it's been surprisingly not terrible after a blowout after against the Tigers. It's a lot of people saying it's just one game and let's start a new streak. It's kind of cool. It's almost like but, we're becoming rational. I know, it's crazy. Which probably means that giant meteor is about to hit the Earth any minute now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first sign. <laughs> well, I mean, Cleveland just won a championship, so we're already... <laughs> That kicked it up like five miles per hour to get closer. Yeah. Doomsday <laughs> clock. Yeah. It's getting closer. <laughs> so uh, last thing we have is social media questions. Like I said, we have a bunch of them. We'll get a couple in, I think. We'll do probably two or three. <clears throat> so the first one, or first two, we'll just combine them. Um, Chris D. Davis on Twitter wants to know, when Roberto Perez comes back, how do you balance Jan, Jimenez, and Perez? And then Matt McPhee on Facebook asks, will Matt Lyons realize, of dream, realize his dream of Roberto Perez becoming our full-time catcher when he returns? I hope so. <laughs> I mean, even more than my irrational Roberto Perez love, I can't... Unless there's something about Jan Gomes catching that the pitchers love and they want him to stay back there. I don't know how you start, how you keep starting Jan Gomes with Roberto Perez back. He's just been so bad at the plate. You've got to give somebody else a chance. It's going to be weird having three players. I don't think they'll keep three catchers. But as long as Jimenez can pass along whatever secret sauce he has on Bauer to Perez or Jan, I don't have a problem with him getting DFA'd or whatever happens with him. But yeah, I definitely want Roberto Perez to have more playing time when he comes back. I wanted it last year. I mean, it came up in my time hop thing this year. The last year at this time I wrote that Perez should be the starter over Gomes. And that was just when Gomes was having like a bad month. It's been a year and a month now. So I definitely want Perez back in there just to give him a shot at least. It's really unfortunate he had that thumb injury. I think if he was here all year, he would have been getting a lot of playing time by now. Uh, What do you think? It's very sad that Jan Gomes has forgotten how to swing a bat. But he's forgotten how to swing a bat. <laughs> exactly. When Roberto Perez comes back, I think you've got to send Gomes down to AAA. There's something very clearly wrong. And I might have written this somewhere on Let's Go Tribe, but sometimes golfers go through existential crises where they just forget their swing. And they miss 800 cuts in a row. Well, not 800, but they miss a lot of cuts in a row. They've got to go to a swing coach. They've got to break it all down. And these are top 20, top 30 guys who it happens to. And there's no shame in it at all. Sometimes you just have to rebuild your swing entirely. And then you come back and you're back. So I don't think there's any shame in a guy in baseball. And I think it was Merritt who posted about the the unusual twitches in Gomes' swing this season compared to when he won the Silver Slugger. 
it's definitely different. He's got a different approach, whether he knows it or not. So we have options at catcher. We know Perez is valuable offensively, and based on the metrics we have, maybe better defensively than Gomes because Gomes isn't pitch framing as well as he used to. We have Gomes under team control. Give him a chance to fix it. Does he have any options left, though? That's another thing I don't know for sure. I thought he had at least one. Oh, if he has one, that would be my answer for sure, too. Because he, they got to try something. He's not figuring it out at the major league level. And maybe that's Ty Van Berkeley's fault. Maybe it's his own dumb brain's fault telling him he's not good at baseball anymore every time he picks up a bat. But something has to change with what he's doing one way or another. And Perez is very good. <laughs> the thing with Jimenez, though, I'm it reminds me of Bull Durham in a way. Because obviously Nuke Lelouch can't bring this 38, 39-year-old catcher with him to the majors. Is that the catcher that taught him how to finally pitch a game and figure things out? Sure, but he's got to go play the rest of his career. So if Gomes does ever figure it out, it's pretty clear who the best two catchers on the teams would be. If on the team would be if we get old Gomes back, and then we have Roberto Perez being just normal, delightful Roberto Perez. Jimenez is the short man out, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of brings up an interesting, interesting question. So if you're whoever has to make that roster decision. And like all the pitch starting pitchers come to you and say that they've probably already had this conversation before if it's the case that there's just something with Gomes calling the games that's helping them pitch so well and his defense. I mean, does four amazing pitchers make up for how bad he's hitting, do you think? I mean, he is hitting really bad. <laughs> but if he's almost the sole reason for the pitchers doing so well, I mean, there's kind of a balance that has to be there, I would think. If he's a super wizard at calling games... <laughs> then I'm fine with keeping him on the roster. Like, if it, if it's really that big a difference, and I don't think it, it could be, it just seems impossible to me. I know that catchers matter, and I know how they call games matters, mm-hmm. but it, it, catchers are still like this weird nebulous part of baseball where we don't really know how to evaluate all of the things that they do. Catcher defense is hard. Catchers calling games is hard. We're finally starting to figure out pitch framing. So how many wins above replacement is how Gomes calls a game? Maybe it's seven. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's a very great pitch framer. Just, again, anecdotally, I don't... There are metrics for framing, I guess, that are starting to come into light. But I don't think he's great at it. He has a really herky-jerky motion when he's close, which results in a lot of balls being called, I think. So if there is some kind of hidden value there, it's got to be just a sequencing. Right. But, and there was know. a Fangraphs post a while ago where they looked at Buster Posey uh, and the other Giants catcher at the time, and they didn't look at anything about pitch framing. It was just the motion of their head and the motion of the glove after they caught the ball. And Posey, who is well regarded as a pitch framer, was basically like a statue. He would catch the ball and nothing would move except the glove towards the zone. And the other guy would jerk a little bit when he tried to frame it. And like it, it correlated pretty closely to the difference in pitch framing. So I think yeah, you're right when you say that Gomes being a little jerkier. Yeah. Which pitch framing, by the way, is really cool to me. I don't know why, but just the idea of that's the one, I guess, positive about the quote unquote human element is there's cool little extra skill that catchers have that we can't really measure yet, which is like you said, if they're sitting perfectly still. It makes a difference if they're how they frame pitches. I just think that's neat. So our next question comes from at James E. Powell 27 on Twitter. 
He wants to know uh, what does more what more does the team have to do short of ten cent beer to approve attendance. And I'll let you take this one because, like I said, I don't get to go to a whole lot of games in person. You're somebody who, I mean, as far as I know, you go to a lot of games, right? Even if it's not in Cleveland anymore. So what do you think? Just what do they have to do to get more people to show up? Win. They just sold out a bunch of games against the Tigers. Uh, I'm going to look. I'm going to cheat and look at tonight's game because we should have an attendance number for the game tonight now. And tomorrow it's almost sold out, too. I know they opened standing room only seats. Yeah, they started to sell them on uh, I started to say that they started to sell them on Twitter. They announced that they were selling them on Twitter is what I meant to yeah. say. Yeah. And I mean, of even course. that Wednesday game, I mean, that was a day game, and it was a really good crowd for the middle of the week. Yeah, like you said, I think it's just win. <laughs> There's some and, cities that they can maintain not winning and having a good attendance, but I don't think Cleveland is one of those, at least not right now. And it might be the case. So we'll see. Well, just looking at the pictures online right now, that's a pretty good house. Well, we don't have the guys in the seats up in right field, but I'd, I'd guess it's at least twenty six, twenty seven thousand there tonight. Yeah, that's not bad. I'll see if they've got the number. They usually announce it by this point. While you're looking at that, if you want to like keep in mind, is there anything? Like, I don't think there's anything really the team does to generate attendance short of like giveaway tickets or beer. <laughs> I don't know anything consistently you can do other than win that increases how many people go to your baseball games i've not read anything about it either i know there were some announcements when the indians signed Bourne and swisher that they had figured out certain ways to bring people into the park using promotions that allowed them to forecast those contracts which that worked out great (laughs) that's okay i do wonder how those 6 p.m starts are helping I know someone just watching on TV and who has to recap them and stay up to do it. It's great. <laughs> I love those start times. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if they're helping at all with attendance. Although the winning is probably slanting that because early in the year it looks bad. But now that I think they might be done doing them now. I think they had the last one. Or they're pretty close. But that'll be cool to see if they start doing that more. Because I guess the idea was to keep people in Cleveland after work. So they right. can go straight to the game instead of going back into the city. Uh, tonight's attendance was 23,848. Yeah, that's not... Too bad. Yeah, that's like Thursday half capacity. Night. Yeah. And like I said, tomorrow is at standing room only at this point. Okay. So, yeah. I think the answer to that question is just win. <laughs> that's pretty much it. <clears throat> just to be competitive every night. Yeah. Well, I don't know. The last two years, I'd say they were competitive a lot. They didn't win a lot, but they were always right at 500. I think in order just to get a ton of fans, just by winning, you have to win a lot and beat people a lot. Which the Indians are doing right now, obviously. So That's fair. So I think if we, let's say that we had just come off of two straight seasons where we, were, where we went deep in the playoffs and we had a 500 year, that would be enough to keep people. So yeah. I think you're right. We've got to have a couple years where we make the playoffs. We have these ridiculous win streaks. And then hopefully there's some inertia behind people coming to the park. Uh, next question is from Daniel Square E on Twitter. He wants to know what prospect has the most exciting first half. It is undoubtedly Francisco Mejia of the Midwest League. Uh, he's with the Hillcats right now. He's on a 32-game hitting streak. He's hitting a league-leading 429 with a 461 on base percentage, a league-best 714 slugging percentage. 714. <laughs> and is that good? Is that is that good? Quote. That's his OPS, right? You're adding them together, right? Oh no, his OPS is 1.175, which is 200 points above the next closest player in the Midwest League. 
Um, this is insanity. And he's a catcher. He's a catcher. And he is raking. <laughs> yeah. I don't... There's no other answer. I mean, before before we did the show, we talked. I mean, it's unfortunate he's a catcher that Roberto Perez is clearly going to be blocking him for the <laughs> remainder of his career. But maybe he can move to another position. He's a switch-hitting catcher, though. <laughs> If his no, defense is slightly below average and anything he's doing now translates to the next level, good God. <laughs> it's going to be insane. It's, I'm clearly excited <laughs> about him. <laughs> yeah, he's got to be shooting up. I don't think we've done, like anybody's really done midseason prospect reports, but he's got to be shooting up at this point. Like everybody's, I would think. It's Zimmer and Frazier, obviously, one, two, and then maybe a couple of pitchers and Bobby Bradley somewhere in there. I think Meiji has got to be like top six or seven. I would hope so. At the worst. He's been great. I mean, it's not like he's getting one hit every night either. Like you said, his average is insane. His slugging percentage is insane. It's all extra base hits and extra hit games. And yeah, there's no other correct answer. He's murdering people. Yeah. <laughs> but since you blatantly stole my answer that I was going to say, Sorry. because it's only the right answer, <laughs> I guess I would say Clint Frazier just because I mean, he's Clint Frazier. There's just something exciting about him. It's the big red hair, and he's hit a ton of home runs. Um, getting to watch him has been a ton of fun. Yeah, and he's, it's one-two between him and Zimmer. I would still have Zimmer as the top prospect, but like at this exact moment, Clint Frazier is having a more exciting season. He has fewer home runs, but for some reason it seems like he has more just because he kills the ball when he hits it. Um, I'm excited for him. I think he's going to be one of those players where when he gets in the majors and he has like exposure, he's going to have a big personality. It's going to be fun when he's good. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I like his numbers in Akron a lot right now because mm-hmm. he's at 287, 369, 485. So that, to me, tells a story of patience, yep. waiting for the pitch he can drive. I still don't think he'll be called up to the majors this year. If he will, it'll be at the very end. Yeah, he'll Without be the ex- a, when the rosters expand. Yeah, I've. Um, I would not be surprised at all to see him in Columbus at some point this season, though. And maybe even competing for a spot to start next year. As long as they're not doing any tricky Super 2 stuff. But if he gets the AAA and he's killing pitching again, yeah, at the very end of this year or the beginning of next year, I think we might see him. Which is a little earlier than people thought, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, because he's 21. So if he if he's he breaks with the team at 22, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's Lindorian. <laughs> yes. So, our last question is a short and easy one. At Bless You Boys, which obviously is the Detroit Tigers explanation blog. We had a writer from the one last week. They want to know, why didn't you guys tell us about the Mike Avila's curse? Because then you wouldn't take him. We, we couldn't tell. <laughs> Whatever team has Mike Avila's, you cannot win. That's just how it works. Sorry. We were stuck with him. It's your fault. It's those calves. They absorb like energy from around him. Like, I don't know if you've seen his calves. They're insane. Yeah, but they're that, that's rip- the reason. Yeah. But he's we, such a he's such a nice guy. I he's know. handsome, Mike. <laughs> and managers seem to love him. Apparently, the Tigers have the same issue that we did. Like Brad Osmus plays him everywhere, outfield, infield. He's not a great utility player. He can't play defense anywhere. He just happens to land everywhere, mm-hmm. and nobody can explain it. I think he looks competent everywhere he plays, even if he's not. Right, just because he's too handsome. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't look good. Like his, ba- 
what was it? Is it like a SpongeBob thing where somebody's so handsome he's blinding everybody? But that's just what it is. He's not actually good at like anything. I don't know. I don't understand it. At the very least, in Detroit, he hasn't gotten the weird fanfare that he did in Cleveland. 